0: <laughs> Welcome back. It's the burning platform. Um, so earlier in the last hour, I did say today is the 22nd of June and that it's an important date. Remember it. The reason it is such an important date is because exactly a year ago today, the final report of the Zondo Commission. But, um, what was it? Version six, I think, report number six came out of his six part report. And 365 days later, we have zero convictions around any of the people that were named. And I just wanted to give you some numbers before we call, uh, we bring on site our guest today, very special guest. So Zondo Commission, 400 days. Over 300 witnesses, 75,099 pages of evidence was transcribed. And the final report, the final report eventually printed out was 8,665,530 pages for public hearing purposes and this I found in Zondo at your fingertips. Paul Holden is our guest today. He was one of the people that testified and he has spent the last 15 years of his life exposing grand corruption. He is the author of five best-selling books on South African and global politics and corruption and he's the director of investigations at Shadow World. Welcome to the show, Paul Holden. And our second guest that is joining us for this fascinating conversation is a very dear friend of mine who, as, who is a journalist and for many years has been on our screens, on our radio, talking about everything and anything he said to me when I phoned him to say will you come on he said you know the reason I started my podcast is because I'm tired of talking about all of the uh, serious stuff and I said well the burning platform is a little bit different. Rams Mabote is a broadcaster and a podcaster he's a reputational specialist and because he's an Orlando Pirates disciple well done i see you are wearing the uniform baba welcome to the show
1: thank you for me you woke me up (laughs) thank you for waking me up
0: so you are a sowetan like me have you got power today what's that (laughs) paul welcome to the show i'm Uh, so excited to be chatting with you congratulations on your uh, new book I know it's not a new feeling for you. And I'm wondering if you got paid 12 million to
2: write this book. (laughs) Um, very much not 12 million,
0: uh, closer to zero, closer to zero. Very fascinating book that you have written here. And I absolutely enjoyed it. I spent the whole day yesterday reading this book because unlike a lot of people, I did read a lot of the Zondo, uh, reports. A lot, because I was very, very fascinated with it, and I, I, you know, wanted to chat with you about some of the decisions that you made in writing this book. Mm-hmm. I, I love the piece about Duduzane and mm-hmm. how you, you kind of pull out the timeline, which is not what's in the report at all. You know, tell us a little bit about why you wrote this book like this before we delve into some of the the intricacies of it with Rams.
2: Sure. So, I mean, I think to the first thing to, to acknowledge is I think the Zonder Commission was uh, was flawed in certain respects, but it was also a pretty remarkable process in others. I mean, it was a, a pretty deep dive, four-year investigation into some of the most extreme cases of, of corruption that we've seen in South Africa that I've ever seen in my career. Um and it, it really sheds a pretty profound light on, on what happened over the last ten years of South African history, but also potentially points a way to where, you know, we can rebuild institutions and society to sort of move on from that period. But the the reports are incredibly long. They're five thousand pages. They, they're very dense, uh, they're very legalistic. Um, they assume that the reader knows sort of key things like what is the Public Finance Management Act and why that's important. Um it seems like a baseline of of legal knowledge to, to understand. So I thought, you know, part of the work that we do as uh, Shadow World Investigations, which is my organisation here in the UK, is we, we fundamentally believe that you can't have a democratic process if people don't have access to information that's accessible. Um, so what we did was we decided that the Zonder Commission stuff is is too important to ignore, which was I think, happening because the reports are so long. So... Mm-hmm take all of that very dense material and condense it even further, um, make it readable and make it accessible and make it so that any South African can pick it up and, and understand the content uh, and inform themselves.
0: So, even from so far away, you're watching all of the stuff that's happening here in South Africa. And I wonder if, and Rams, I'd love to hear what you think uh, with last week's explosive voice notes mm-hmm. <laughs> from Mkwebada because one of the people who was mentioned in the Zondo uh, testimonies is then um, Minister fake the Mentor 1 and also with fake Mentor's uh, testimony was the then Minister Tina Jumat-Peterson <laughs> so <right sighs> last week she's since passed away and condolences to her family. But last week was quite an exciting uh, time talking about Miss Tina Jumat-Peterson.
1: Before before that, Paul, congratulations, by the way, and hello to you. Thank you. Please, please raise the copy of the book again, Pumi. <laughs> <laughs> and and Paul says this is condensed. Can, can you look at the size of this book? Like, <laughs> So imagine how huge that report is if this book is the condensed version of what we have been given. Mm. I worry that people don't read 30-page books. I don't know if they're going to read Paul's book, let alone the whole report by Chief Justice Zondo. But it's very important, right? We need to know these things. I was an addict. This was my first experience of... What you call reality TV? The Zondo Commission. (laughs) I watched that thing. Like I used to call it Days of Zondo. It, It was my thing. If I missed it, I came back and I went to YouTube and I caught up on this thing. And I, it was both fascinating from the nonsense that one was listening to, but also sad for what was going on in the country, just listening to that kind of evidence. And if you're going to juxtapose it against what we heard from Mkwebane last week, I mean, we don't know whether, you know, she it's what she says and, and, and it's WhatsApp stuff and stuff like that. But but if you go back to what happened to the Zondo Commission, it's not implausible what she told us, what Mukwebane told us. It's not implausible. Yeah. Uh, it's just that she, from a reputation point of view, she does not come smelling very well. So there'll be a lot of people doubting her, eh? which does not make it unbelievable, but it makes it difficult
2: to believe.
0: Mm. Paul, did you see any of that? And what is your take on it?
2: Sorry, you, you broke up there for a second?
0: I'm saying, did you see any of, and, uh, of the developing story around Tina Jumat-Peterson and this... <laughs> Ryan, I think we're having a problem uh, for Paul. Can you take him off, and then maybe we'll come back in.
1: By the way, I have to a quick disclaimer here. I I used to work <laughs> with or for Tina Jumad Peterson. You know, so uh, there will be a lot of uh, no comments from me. <laughs>
0: Hi, <laughs> man. This is not why we have brought you on here to not comment on it. But uh, listen, the, the explosion, and I was watching it at a distance. The, the stuff that, um, that the public protector has been taking in. You're talking about her not smelling of roses herself. And I just wanted to chat with you also about the reputation of, of all of these institutions, considering all of what we have seen with this corruption. So we, People, there are people who love uh, Tulima Donzela. There are people who love Mkwebane. But what about the office? Because that office has to stay, whether it is Tulima Donzela, whether it's uh, Mkwebane or whoever, whose term ends this September, I think, the next yeah. public protector. What does all of this do to an institution like this and its reputation for the people?
1: You know, maybe we have to start right at the beginning. Um, do people remember a name like selby Pakwa? yes and, i do <laughs> and, a, and a guy called uh, Mushwana who came after him before mm-hmm. tulima donzella and then you know truth of the matter is that this office was unknown for 14 years until a woman called tulima donzella took over and there were two public protectors before her. We did not know them. We there was no reputation of this office. I don't remember much. In fact, the only story of Selby Parkour that I got to remember was on his departure. There were stories about him abusing his wife. I mean, I don't know whether it was proved in court or anything else. And Mushwana fluffed up a, a, a the only investigation that he handled that he did badly on. So truly gave this office some face. Gave it some, some respectability. And said that it it happened on the back of a political fight inside the ANC. So she then got caught up in the factional issues of the ANC. Her successor then comes in. It looks like it from where I sit. Uh, with the baggage of that factional fight of the ANC, sitting on the other side of the fence. And for some reason, then people presume it means Tully was sitting on the other side. If this mm. one is sitting on this side, it therefore means Thule was sitting on the other side. She so was not just a, a, you know, an objective, impartial public protector, which then mm. makes clearly, and for me it is clear, that this particular one is not objective and impartial. She has taken a stance, right? So it it has, for me, then messed up the office. The office for a a while was unknown. Then it got to be known gloriously because of this one woman. Uh, Something just happened there. We can still hear you. And see me. Yes. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, you know, so now we're sitting in in a space where the... This has become a political office. It has lost the essence of what it is. And that is so sad. It will take a lot of time to clean up the image of the Office of the Public Protector.
0: Paul, the Office of the Public Protector is quite a big part of how the Zondo Commission was formed. And also the public, as it were, because you do talk about the three individuals who put in complaints to the public protector's office. Uh, Do you want to tell us a little bit about that background? Because one of my favorites is the fact that one of the key players that has brought us all the way to the State of Capture report, as well as the Zondo Commission, was a Catholic priest.
2: Mm. I mean, I think that the fundamental to the whole Zondo Commission was um, Martin Teller's report into the Gupta family, um, and, you know, I think what she showed was for the first time we had a public protector who actually sought to protect the public. I mean, we've had a very, I think, a very horrible and, and distressing run of public protectors who haven't done their job up until her. And suddenly we had this person who showed the incredible power of this, this office to do its job. You know, if you actually applied your mind and, and, and pursued investigations fully and fairly, what you could uncover. And I mean the results of her investigation was, you know, a pretty damning report on the extent to which the computers had captured South Africa. And her recommendation was uh you have to appoint a commission of inquiry uh to look into this. And then obviously there's a lot of litigation about whether there was binding or not, and, and it was established that it was binding. Um the key caveat I think there was that she said, you know, Jacob Zuma is implicated here, so he can't appoint. Um, the the judge who heads that commission of inquiry, which is probably one of the, the greatest godsends in South African political history of the last ten years, because when Jacob Zuma did appoint judges to head commissions of inquiry, he appointed judges like Judge Ceriti, um who did the whitewash in the the Arms Deal investigation that I tried to tried to assist as well. Um, so when that was when that decision was made and it was upheld, um, it fell to the Chief Justice at the time to appoint um, the head of the commission of inquiry, and he chose. To, Raymond Zonder. Um and it's sort of these—you know—I always think it's uh, these this bizarre political accidents you have in South Africa that you, you don't expect. That like suddenly this political accident where you have Tuli Matinela in this role, who suddenly does her job um, in ways that nobody else has done before. But also, you have Chief Justice Bakhwe Mahuang. When he came in, there was like this real assumption <laughs> yeah. that he was going to be. This, this Zuma lackey, everybody was terrified of what he was going to do. And suddenly he comes into his role and he's like, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do what Zuma tells me yeah. to do. I'm going to be independent. And it's just this crazy historical accident. We had two people in these roles who so suddenly decided to do their job. And that led to this on the Zonda Commission of Inquiry.
0: Well, and one of the chapters, you spend a lot of time, you spend an entire chapter dedicated to the president, Ooh. the current president, uh, Mr. Cyril Ramaphosa. In his capacity and role as the president of the country, but also as the deputy president of the country and of the ANC. And this week, the report that came in um, about the courts upholding the DA's challenge to get the ANC to give record and of all their catered deployment. We talked about this a couple of years ago on the show as well, because who was the head of catered deployment in the ANC, surprise, surprise. It is our president. And, and one of the things that, that I love that you write about here is because Cyril Ramaphosa has convinced the whole country that he has, he was politically besieged in his time as deputy president to, uh, Jacob Zuma. And he could have done one of two things. He could have either stayed inside the party and tried to fight corruption from inside the party mm-hmm. or he, could stay inside the party and bide his time and be quiet and not say anything up until such time that he has enough power to say anything. But we've also watched him now for almost five years as the president of the country carry on doing exactly that, absolutely nothing. Do, do you want to tell us a little bit about his role um, testifying and then also his role in you know, the corruption that we have in this country?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that the, the Zonda Commission is pretty damning of him, actually. Um, I have to admit, I was quite surprised, um, at just how stinging the Zonda Commission is of, of Ramaphosa's conduct and, and his evidence and of the ANC as a whole. Like, he really doesn't hold back in, in locating state capture within the ANC. He's very explicit. He says, you know, it was the ANC, it's MPs. Um, and it's political structures and it's deputy president and it's president who were implicated in state capture, you know, either directly by perpetrating it or by, or by not stopping it. Um, so I was quite shocked by how, how intense the criticism is. And he says, you know, very clearly that, you know, Ramaphosa's, uh, excuse for not doing anything just doesn't wash. It doesn't hold water, but he clearly had so much more power than, than he, uh, expressed that he, he had the moral duty to stand up and, and fight the and capture, which he, he didn't do. I'd be very interested to hear, you know, what happens in that court case, because one of the things that I thought was very disturbing in the Zondo Commission evidence, and I, and I talk about it in the book quite a bit, is that when Ramaphosa appeared uh, and he had to speak about the deployment committee, of which he was the chair for a very long period of time. So he was the chair during the period in which people like Brian Malefi and Nash Singh were being sent to ESCOM. so he would have There was them. also
0: a time when he was the only person in that committee
2: Exactly <laughs> now the thing that they say is that the deployment committee the minutes of the deployment committee between I think it's 20 I think it's 2014 and 2019 2014 yeah are missing that nobody has a copy of them they they've disappeared so i don't know what's going to happen <laughs> in the da case because i don't know <laughs> if they're just going to come back and say well you've won the right to see them but now you can't actually see them because they're do it. Rams, just,
0: you take I'm, these, you take these things on, on as you say, grab them by the horns, Rams by the horns. What's your view?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by how you guys are shocked by this. Like, you know, I, throughout the commission, and and I think people felt so sorry for President Cyril Ramaphosa. That, that he was caught up in this thing. And I kept on thinking, are you guys crazy? We don't have a Zuma problem. We have an ANC problem. This is a matter of the ANC. He was sitting in there. And, and it, it, by the way, it's the same. When, when Zuma was deputy president to Mbeki, he kept quiet. Well, he promised us that he'll tell us all and came out with a non-book a few years later. But but fact of the matter, no, no, The book is
0: coming. The day is coming.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not going to wait too long. I'm gray already. I I I think that what we should disabuse ourselves of is this notion of great individuals that we're trying to do good in this in this glorious movement that glorious movement is gone and our problem is the glorious movement the Zondo commission is about the ANC it was not about Zuma to me he's just he was the face of it but The ANC has a problem. Cyril led the business of government. Uh, He led a deployment committee. And in fairness to him, by the way, you know, this thing of deployment committee, he may lead it, but it's actually a a complex process. It's it's a whole lot of people playing a role there, including when he hires his own cabinet. It's not just him sitting alone and deciding who sits there. It's It's a difficult thing. So the problem is ANC, it's not. Cyril. It's not Zuma. We have we have an ANC problem in the country. Let's just live with it. Let's just accept it. And we're going to have to deal, it, deal with it from an ANC point of view, not individual's point of view.
0: Well, one of the things that, that Paul, you also talk about in the book is the role of parliamentary <coughs> oversight. Mm-hmm. And it's failing, which was also in the Zondo Commission, one of the things that Zondo was quite scathing about. Mm-hmm. Just the, the role, because we have got a parliament that's proportionally representative, which means all parties who get particular threshold, a particular threshold of voters, um, have representation. They have representation in the portfolio committees. They have representation in the broader context of Parliament. And Zondo was scathing about parliamentary oversight. Do you want to expand a little bit on that
2: part? Sure. I mean, he, you know, I think it's pretty clear that Parliament did basically nothing um, during the entire period of state capture. I would argue it did very little before that as well. I mean, my colleague who I've worked with for a very long time is, is Andrew Feinstein, who was an ANC MP. Um, part of the sort of the, the original intake, uh, post-94 intake. And he tells you know, the terrifying story of how he tried to investigate the arms deal in Parliament. At that time, he was the head of SCOPA, uh, the Standing Committee of Public Accounts, which up until that point, up until 1999, had been a bipartisan committee. They tried to you know, do as best as they could, apply uh, the law fairly uh, and hold everybody to account, regardless of whether they were Winnie Mandela or anybody else. And then the arms deal completely changed that. So when he tried to investigate it, he was effectively kicked out of the party and then effectively chased out of the country as well. Um, and there was a very clear message that came from down on high in the ANC, which is there's no such thing as a free vote anymore. We will whip you on every decision um, that takes place in Parliament. And it's at that point that you know parliamentary oversight effectively ended um, for sort of any major financial crimes. I mean, the crazy thing. You know, there's a long section that the that Zonda talks about, which is like the frolic letters about when Cedric Froelick decided to eventually write to people and say to parliamentary committees and say, you better start investigating this stuff. But it was like it was in 2017, you know, mm-hmm. six years after the first stories are, are coming out, this is the first time that they, they bothered to investigate. And even then, there's only one committee that actually bothers to, to, to try and look into things. The other three committees barely don't do anything. There's two committees where they don't even convene, and there's one committee where it seems like the committee chair didn't even share his letter with the other committee members. So even at that moment where it became politically appropriate or politically possible for them to do so because of the shifting dynamics in the ANC, even then it failed. Um, I mean, I think one of the other really disturbing things... That came out of the zondo commission report and zondo sort of circles around it quite a lot is is the state security agency and how unaccountable it is and i was i was really you know i've been working in this field for a long time and i I knew the the state security agency was pretty much out of control i didn't quite realize how poor the parliamentary oversight was just just not even meeting not even meeting the the parliamentary oversight committee to discuss intelligence issues I mean there was this one example in the book which I just couldn't I couldn't get over, this idea that when they created the State Security Agency, um, it was illegal for years because the president just promulgated it. He didn't have the power <laughs> to just create something out of the blue. It had to be created by Parliament. And it took I think it was eight years for the mm-hmm. Parliamentary Oversight Committee to actually acknowledge that yes, the state security agency existed illegally outside of the law for a couple of years. I mean it's just it was a pretty astonishing display of just like craven party political loyalty. And Zondo is, you know, he's pretty damning of it.
0: Well, and we see it, right, Rebs, the numbers obviously are overwhelmingly in favour of the ANC right now. So my question is, as we watch the shambles, the omni-shambles essentially of coalitions across the regions, in because we've got that after the local general elections, and by all indications, that is where we are going with in the next election. Is there's going to be a, a much smaller window that the ANC has uh, in terms of the new parties, in terms of the DA and possibly even the EFF growing their share within that uh, parliament and the representation do you foresee that the parliamentary oversight will get better? Will they get better at doing their job if there's more diversity in terms of who's represented?
1: I I still get shocked at how <clears throat> people don't realise this notion of a parliamentary oversight is, a, is an oxymoron and the emphasis is on the moron part. You see, we, we have this situation where we don't elect public representatives, we elect parties who then appoint public representatives. Do you expect these guys who get appointed by the deployment committee to question the party that gives them jobs that pay them what? A hundred thousand rand a month or something like that? Never. That is why almost that one point five million work. rand. That system will never work because these guys are not are actually accountable to their employers. They are employed by the ANC. They're not public representatives. So you know, for, even for Zondo to be scathing of it, for me, it's just ignoring what is always in front of our eyes. I mean, you you should see some of these members of parliament, and I'm I'm saying this with utmost respect. These guys should not even be street committee members, really. But, you know, they sit there in the National Assembly, they get all these perks. They can read any document that if you gave them Paul's book, they would not decipher Front page to last page, right? And 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 these guys are supposed then to to go through, uh, to to take the, the state security agency to pieces. They're supposed to take Zuma into to pieces. Like really, forget about it. In fact, the best way of doing it, which is what Paul speaks about, is that they abstain. They don't they don't sit, because it's better. They they, they don't get to be seen to be empty. They would rather not come to the committee, and then things don't happen for months if not years. That's how this thing functions. I mean as long as Ozebe speaks about it in his book, Manifesto. We don't have a parliamentary oversight system. It doesn't exist. So what
0: then uh, is the way forward? Is coalitions going to be a resolution? Is it, it going doesn't to, change be able the system to solve no. some think, of our problems?
1: We need to change the we need to change the electoral system. It, we it, 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 well, there's there's a, a, there's a new a there, reason, there is but... a
0: new system and so hopefully in the next election we will see a little bit more of public representation but yeah. do you think Paul because you, you speak also about the numbers you know you speak about the fact that for instance one of the what was uh put in front of parliament mm. is one hundred and six uh, of the opposition party members voted against and one hundred and twenty four from the ANC, all of them voted for the motion. You know, do you think that having more numbers is going to help in terms of getting the parliament to to have a little bit more oversight? I know Zondo does make some uh recommendations, which mm-hmm. unfortunately is all that a commission can do.
2: I, mean, I think there's I think that there's been a bit of a perfect storm in South Africa, um, in that you have a PR system, you know. Uh, as we've just been talking about, where it's a party list system, so you elect the ANC, you, you put your cross against the ANC, and the ANC gets to determine who the MP is, and and they can they can recall them immediately. So if, you know somebody doesn't vote, you know if an MP doesn't vote along with the whip's line, they're out of parliament, they lose their job. Um,
0: Except if you're on Kosa Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I think,
2: yeah, I mean I, I think that the. What also, you know, what people failed to acknowledge at the time is, that it's not just people lose their jobs. It's like a lot of people have made their lives within the ANC within the movement, and there's like a there's a very strong process of of enforcing conformity um, through like social exclusion and stuff like that. So I remember Andrew talking about how, you know, when he started trying to investigate the arms deal, he came into Parliament and every day that he came in and took his seat all of the people he used to consider his friends around him would would say under their breath, traitor, 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 traitor. traitor. Um, You know, and really? was like they were hounding him out of parliament. And I think that's, like, it's a very powerful form of, like, social control, not just, like, you're not going to just lose your job. You're going to be thrown to the wolves. You're going to be excluded. You're going to be insulted. You're going to effectively become, like, a non-person politically. Now, I mean, what can be done about it? I mean, there's there's all sorts of things that the Zonder Commission suggests. I mean, uh, there seems to be to me, you know, uh, some scope for discussing electoral reform, in particular, like a constituency based system. Like, how do you make your MPs accountable? Now, I- I've got to say that, um, having lived in the UK now for 10 years, everybody hates the constituency based system here, besides the Tories. Really? I mean, because what you have in a constituency based system is that if you live in a, if you, so, you know, I live in it's the centre of London. Wow. Where I sit is it's not going to be, uh, there's no no way that anybody's going to vote for anybody but the Labour Party, right? The Labour Party is going to win by, you know, it's going to get 20,000 votes in the seat and the Tories will get 4,000. Now, what that means is that my vote is essentially meaningless because, you know, regardless of whether I vote, the Labour Party is going to get elected. And the Labour Party can use its own internal processes to, you know, push somebody that they like into the seat. Um, and it's very hard to, to hold people to account. People feel like, you know, you have these very bizarre situations where uh, you have, because of the way the constitution system works and first-past-the-post, you have um, parties like the Green Party, which, re- like, regularly gets a million votes in the, the general election, right? And that's a lot of votes in the UK. If it was proportional representation, they'd be getting 20 to 30 seats. But they get one seat. Every single mm-hmm. time they get one seat. I mean, I don't particularly support them. But I think they're horrific human beings, but UKIP uh, will get, you know, when they were around, they were getting, you know, 10%, 50% of the vote. They didn't get any seats.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And the Tories always win because, you know, they'll get 30% of the vote, but they'll get 30% of the vote in the right constituencies. And it mm-hmm. does mean there's a, quite a distorted political system from that perspective. So I feel like you have to find a way to to navigate those two problems. On the one hand, constituency-based system you can you know there's loads of gerrymandering that happens people like change the borders of stuff people don't feel their vote counts and the PR system you have a party appoints all the MPs and you don't feel they're accountable mm-hmm. so I think this, you know the Zonda commission says you know constituency system is an important move but it's not resolving everything we have to find some way of creating like a hybrid system between these two these two systems between. Constituency based proportional representation to sort of try and find the best of both worlds and, and eradicate the worst of both, both worlds in that case. I mean, one example would be, you know, you have one, you have parliament, which sits as a, as a PR body. And then you have a, a Senate that sits as a constitutional body, a constituency based body, that sort of thing. But what is clear is that the PR, pure PR system just doesn't work. Um, because mm-hmm. there's no holding those MPs to account, uh, because you can't mm-hmm. actually vote out your local MP. In the same way that I think the Zonda Commission makes a very good point that we don't vote for our president. Mm. So you a situation mm. where like you may like your ANC local representative, you may like the ANC in general terms, but you may hate the president. Well, how do you resolve that? And he said, Well, what that you can do is if we could vote for the president, you know, it could have been a situation where, you know, under Jacob Zuma, where people supported like the underlying principles of the ANC for whatever reason, but they didn't want Jacob Zuma to be president, they could have had the ANC without Jacob Zuma.
0: Uh, <laughs> but right. as, as, as Rams points out And I think it's, it's one of the things that is a running theme On this show in particular The problem is much deeper than that It's more than just who is the head of this party What we're not going to get away from, gentlemen Is we're not going to get away from the salacious mm-hmm. bit Of, of the Sword Commission Rams, you say it was your first uh, foray Into watching reality TV uh <laughs> Are we going to talk a little bit About that because Paul Makes the point that in the reports Themselves you know and then it was Eventually amended kind of in October Or something but there was very Little mention made of uh, for The form The ex-wife now ex-wife I think their divorce is finalized Of Melusi uh, Kigaba.
1: Watching that <sighs> <clears throat> look uh, it, it it was entertaining. I'll tell you that much right and, again depressing to be hearing the details of people walking into a sex in the world mansion and you know with men bags and 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 there were, there were money machines Gold they, for their sons <laughs> like all that kind of stuff like you know but also sitting there and thinking, wow, this is a beautiful script. If I ever wrote fiction like this, I'll make lots of money. Maybe not in South Africa, but it's amazing. So, I kept on thinking to myself, and I'd like Paul to help me here. I kept on thinking to myself, up to how much can the commission consume of this stuff and make it part of the report? What is going to be important and unimportant in this report? What is going to be critical and not critical? I mean, so many people had so many things to say about the coupsters. What do you put in? What do you leave out? Mm. The Salacia stuff—very exciting for people like me who are watching this from a sarcastic point of view. Uh, but is it important from a political point of view and from where, from the point of view of where we tend to go as a truth cancer? telling
0: and fact finding, which is what commissions are about.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. But you see, and Noah Coolis stand sits on that stand and it's also a, a chance for her to do Instagram moments, right? For her it's, it's not just about the good of the country. It's about now now it's my moment. Now I'm gonna have a few likes by the time I'm done with this moment. And she did have, I must say, I was one of those who pressed like. <laughs>
2: yeah, I mean I think that, that the the this is the, the sort of the nitty-gritty of, of what a judge has to do, right? I mean, especially when you're dealing with like a criminal court or a magistrate's court and you're dealing with the criminal procedures, is assessing a witness. And there's very few witnesses who appear who are implicated in their story where they've also benefited potentially from this state capture, where it's not going to be a complicated thing to sift through what they're telling that's sort of self-serving and, and what isn't. I mean, in the end, the report doesn't discuss things like sex tapes or whatever, what it does do is try to focus on things that it could try and corroborate of her evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where her evidence spoke to other examples of state capture that heard from other people, um, and you know, and the commission's clear that in certain cases she made claims that just didn't stand up. So she talked about uh, getting this this car. I think it was a, a white BMW that she's mm-hmm. supposed to be given, and the commission was like, this 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 car doesn't exist. We we've never found it. You know, we could find <laughs> no record of the car existing. But there's other things where she talks about the, the experience of going into the <laughs> and seeing the, the the bags or whatever, which is corroborated by other people. There's other witnesses who you said Your you know Exactly, saying this is this is what happens in this compound, you know? And there's the drivers from Lucy Gagaba, um, who are also saying the same things as well. So what actually ends up happening is that I was, I, you know, when that report came out in October, so nobody paid any attention because the Malusi Gagawa report is sort of added on very much at the end. I think they technically have to get some sort of presidential proclamation to be allowed to, to make it available at, at such a late stage. And they added to, like, a new edition. You know, when I was writing the book, I didn't even realize it was out to begin with. And I think...
0: The country as a whole and, and particularly journalists and Rams, you 'd be able to tell us a little bit more about this is suffering from PTSD. I feel like we were collectively defiled by videos of members uh, <laughs> It was a, a horrific experience even watching watching noma uh, in that moment was 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 quite i think we have PTSD as <laughs> all of us and and possibly we blocked it out of our our consciousness. That's why a lot of people uh, didn't pay attention to that amendment when it came out. Mm. You,
1: you, know, you know, for me, and, and I, I'm really looking forward to actual results out of the, the the Zondo Commission. And I know it's difficult, right? He makes recommendations, the NPA has to, to then charge people and they have to, to be, you know, something has to happen. But it, when, when you look at it from where I sit, you tend to think, was this just an exercise to a uh, dirty linen and then we walk away from it? And in, in, in a way, in my cynical way, I think what the Zondo Commission did was to settle scores between different factions of the ANC. From where <laughs> I sit as a normal, ordinary citizen, I ask myself, why did I have to go through these four years? I'm, as say, I'm suffering PTSD. I'm like... If I have to suffer and I don't see any results from this, you know, uh, speaking yeah, speaking I of I results,
0: know. I mean, speaking of results, we when we started, we, I spoke about the fact that there have been zero prosecutions as a result. Three hundred and sixty-five days later, we're watching the Estina and Ace Machashule, uh court case fall apart, essentially, yeah. um, and I think that the one thing that is a result and I don't know if you guys remember, Uh, uh, what's her first name? Queen Anna. Uh, who even <clears throat> even even Zondo was just like Miss Quinana, but you know you're a she, chartered
1: accountant, Miss Quinna.
0: She she is no she well she's no longer a chartered accountant. She's been no, I, I'm, I'm road, quoting Zondo you know, here. Saika. I remember
1: those words. You know? <laughs>
0: but but that that is a result, right? So she she has lost her her status as a chartered accountant. Saika yeah. have also fined her. I don't know if she she's ever paid. She has to pay them back, and so that that is one result. But other results? What do you think, Paul? But it's it's not a law enforcement result,
1: of- right? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's something that's been done by an institute that she belongs to, which is great, and I'm glad they're doing something. I'd like to see something happening in Silverton, uh, the NPA. Uh, Shamila Bato is standing in front of me and saying, today, 300 people are going to be indicted. Well,
2: <laughs> give me 300,
1: <laughs> not 300. I'm fine with three.
0: Well, <laughs> the number of people mentioned, uh, Paul, Mm-hmm. periphery. You 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 have a very fascinating uh, money trail. Uh, all the money that was spent and where it went. It, I mean, it's a couple of pages long, all of mm. those kind of money flow diagrams. And there are many people who are mentioned by name, even in the report, with oh. very severe recommendations, I would say. Do you think any of that is going to... It's gonna happen. Is anybody gonna be in orange overalls?
2: Sure. I mean, I think there's there's three things to, to to like really pull out here. The one the one is like the usefulness of a commission and hearing dirty laundry. I mean, what I will say is like on the one hand we can joke about it. And we can say, oh, you know, we we heard salacious stuff, and but you know this this process of like actually having public officials coming and having to explain themselves to in front of a judge in a process there, there's evidence and we can all watch it and it's on YouTube and and it's be streamed live. I could tell you that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world. Like it, does, it just does not happen that you have a process like this. This was like a process of like radical transparency that I could never imagine. It would never happen in a million years. You'd have a similar process in the UK. It just would not. It would not be allowed to have. It's not even politically conceivable that you'd have the prime minister, the sitting prime minister, coming in front of a judge and being told off. It's just not going to happen, right? So I think there's a value.
0: Ivo, uh, Boris Johnson is. <laughs> I think Boris Johnson sitting there right now this week. All of that's unfold. All sure, of what he's is unfolding with, He's with not him.
2: sitting before a judge. He's not sitting before a. Com- you know, he, there's a committee investigation into him, but there's no four-year investigation into how they spent 38 billion pounds on COVID PPE, which went to all of their friends and there were VIP lines and massive, massive corruption. And you know, he's done because he had a party. He's not done because he oversaw the government spending the GDP of South Africa, literally the GDP of South Africa, in six months on PPE that wasn't delivered, right? Uh, and that's and just like the most egregious, insane corruption you can possibly imagine happening within the in the COVID process, all going to like their donors. And it's like, it's incredibly obvious to anybody who's paying the most marginal attention that was a massively corrupt moment. Nobody's being investigated for that. Nobody's going before a judge saying, why on earth are you getting WhatsApps from your friend who's just started a ppe company and why is he getting half a billion pounds in contracts right like there's mm-hmm. a very different level of of like transparency and accountability that that you know I've experienced here in the uk so that's the first thing the second thing is that the there are there have been some results right so i think we tend to ignore the fact that there's been afu applications there's siu stuff that succeeded and the state has clawed back way more money than was ever spent on the Zonda commission through that process, right? So, and I've been involved in a couple of those cases because my evidence has been submitted under affidavit. You know, one of the, the key examples is an is, um, Ottoman coal mine and, and the coal terminal, which together is probably worth about 10 billion rand, right? That's been frozen. That's been seized back. That was just about to be given to a guy who had helped the Guptas, uh, move their money around the world, right? That's a serious achievement to get that stuff back. I should also say that, you know, since the Zonder Commission, we've been doing a lot of work overseas. And on the basis of the Zonder Commission's findings, we've now convinced the Office of the Prosecutor in Frankfurt to open a criminal investigation into T-Systems. Wow. So there are so there are things happening. Now, that's not to say that I think this is all fine and that I think like, the New Newley case is a disaster. I mean the the MPA not being able to to pursue that particular case is incredibly disturbing. I mean, from what we understand, they went to they went to court and they weren't prepared to argue for the inclusion of the Gupta leaks. This is yeah. seven years after the Gupta leaks first came out, six years after the Gupta leaks first came out like how How are you not ready to lead one witness at that point? About why the Gupta leak should be admitted, so there's mm-hmm. serious, you know, like there's serious concerns about whether we're going to see people in jail. I mean, there's just so many people. There's hundreds of people implicated in the state capture. Just you know, in my money laundering stuff alone, you're looking at a couple of hundred people who should be prosecuted. I mean, what I'm hoping, what I'm, I'm hoping, is that New Lane was like a bloody nose. That you know, <laughs> the New Lane was like, oh, we, we can't, just, we can't just walk through this and expect a judge to be like. I think we all know they're guilty. You actually have to mount a case, and think about it. When was the last time? When was the last time you had a serious economic crime case brought in South Africa? It was 2005, or should be a shake, right? You have people who have never prosecuted a case before like this. The NPA does not have prosecutors who've taken cases like this before, so they they are like learning on their feet, and they have learned a serious lesson in new lane. And what I'm hoping is that they're like, okay. Now we've got to take things seriously. Now we've got to really get our ducks in a row. We can't do this again. And we move forward and, and we learn from it. I would think the worst thing would be for us to be like, well, if nothing's ever going to work again, It's just, we should just leave it. I think that would be the worst response.
1: <laughs> Perhaps you wanted to say something? Well, look, I, I don't want to come across as saying nothing good came out of the commission. In fact, the, the most important thing for me is that we now know what happened. It's it's the first victory. You know, when people complain it's a waste of money, say we would not have known what was going on had the commission not happened. That's one. Two is that we now have a a situation where I'm hoping there's a bit of caution out there where people know they can be looked at and they can be persecuted and prosecuted in public, which doesn't happen in the UK. I'm so happy to know that we are us in, in doing these things in the world. Great stuff for us. And, I mean, there's another great stuff. You can also produce a book from Paul, right? But here's my problem. When, when nothing happens in terms of prosecutions, let's take, for instance, a Brian Molefe and and, and his fellow, the, the CFO guy that he worked with at Transnet and then later at ESCO. Anoj. If Anoj and, and, and Brian had had been prosecuted, it would also have saved us from the nonsensical debates that we go on now. People say, bring him back to ESCOM. See, if we were dealing with him on the transnet issues, we would then put him on ice and not keep him as this saviour that we need to be talking about. He would then be seen, at least in the light of a pot- potential criminal. He's so not, Brian
0: and Matzela Koko.
1: Now they are mentioned as these saviours that we need to bring back, you know, electricity onto the grid because nothing is happening and that bothers me.
0: Mm, you know, one of the things that, that Paul talks about in his book is also the the framework of prosecutions, the laws and how they, they work or should work in terms of some of the possible prosecutions that can happen. And one of the things I, I am always fascinated about with the American justice system is they will get you. They may not get you for that particular thing, but they, they always know how to formulate a case, uh, that puts you behind bars. You know, and, and, um, Paul, do you just want to chat a little bit with us about, about that framework of laws and the space in which the commission could operate mm-hmm. and the space where the NPA could be operating given what came out of the commission's uh, testimonies?
2: Sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, there's, it's it's important to like acknowledge the distinction between a commission of inquiry and a court of law, which are are actually very different things. A commission of inquiry, its entire job is to inquire, to find information, to find facts and tell the truth of what happened. That's what it's designed to do. And it has, it has like really key powers. It has the power to search search and seizure. It has the power to summons people, get all sorts of documents to compel people to testify. Uh, but it also has very different rules of evidence. So it could admit evidence that would never be admitted in a court. So it could admit hearsay. It could refer Which to... Which is why ar- we could laws. listen
0: to Nomakule.
2: <laughs> exactly, right? Um, and what that means is that the commission of inquiry had a slightly easier job of getting to the truth of a matter because you didn't have quite the same constraints around you know what can and can't be admitted. That said, I mean, the stuff that they did uncover was pretty clear-cut criminality on behalf of a whole range of different people. To, to my mind, it, it seems pretty clear that you could take the work of the Zonda Commission, and you'd need, you know, a, a good team to take that material and, and make it a, applicable to a court process, but Zonda's really made it, I think, handed some cases on a platter to the MPA you know, he really has identified where the cases are, what the underlying documentation is. And a lot of the times he went, you know, the Zonda Commission went and sees bank statements and stuff like that. So that's part of the records that, that can be accessed. And he's really given like a, a roadmap for the, how the MPA can do stuff. Um, and it's concerning they haven't. I mean, there's so many different approaches that can be taken. What I'm quite worried about is, is these sort of, these mega arrests that have been happening, where suddenly you have... Um, you know, 35 people indicted on a case around Transnet. You know, it's Brian and like every single other person he possibly went for tea with. And I think that's a serious mistake from a prosecution perspective. I think you should be choosing, like, three or four key players you build a case against, because what happens when you have 35 people who are all being bankrolled behind the scenes is they have 35 defense teams,
1: right? Mm. 35
2: defense teams of five lawyers each, all sitting in court, like forensically going through every possible mistake the state prosecutor has made. And the prosecutor is sitting there with himself and his junior, right? Mm. right, up against 150 people who are being paid vast amounts of money to, to, to find problems in the case. I think that's a huge mistake. I think it would have made sense to either choose a couple of low-level people, relatively speaking, but who could inform effectively and turn state's witness on key senior people, or you choose a handful, a small number of very senior people and you go after them. I think, you know, Brian Malefi and Anaj Singh should have been prosecuted just themselves and build a case just against them, which would be a much simpler process and a much easier case to build than a case against 35 people all who are going to have their own lawyers.
1: Rans? Yeah. Julius Caesar, Act 3, Scene 3. Ah, the poet or the conspirator, right? And this is, this, this is the point. So if you can't kill him for being a conspirator, at least kill him for his bad verses, you must find something.
0: Mm. Must I find mean, Dudu Zanezuma is a, also he has a whole chapter. But I, yeah. I I love the way that you you then break it down, because one of the things that the commission was unable to do, um, is is have a, a a timeline and a thread because of the way that they were calling uh, mm-hmm. the individuals to testify, the way that they were receiving affidavits, and also the way in which they were completing the reports. And what you've done, particularly in this chapter, is you've you've made a a, a table, right? Is you've got. Mm-hmm. This is Duduzanezuma. So when it comes to National Treasury, these are the five things. These are the people that were involved, and this is what they testified. When it comes to the free State, this is what they said. When it yeah. comes to the Department of Natural Resources, this is what they said. Like Duduzanezuma could easily go down. If Just looking at this book, I mean, I'm just like, mm, maybe this should be given to every member of the NPA, every prosecutor at the NPA that they can use as a reference book.
2: Yeah, I mean I hope I hope they do look at it. Uh I mean the do stuff I have I have to be honest. Send I'm, them
0: as a Christmas present.
2: As a Christmas present for the whole MPA. There's 5,000 copies.
0: <laughs> no, just two people. Just two people. Okay. People.
2: <laughs> I mean in terms of I mean the do stuff was was interesting because you know my impression of the do stuff when I was watching it and when I was doing my own work on it was He's sort of around, but we don't have anything on him really. But then, you know, when you actually go through every single time that he's sitting in a room and there's a bribe offered, right, every time he's actually there, you're like, oh, this this is actually pretty serious stuff, right? This is like he is there repeatedly at the scene of the crime. And um,
0: prosecutable, because if a bribe is being offered and true. you are there, you are supposed to at least it. tell somebody, yeah. report it to yeah. somebody. And if you don't, you are an
2: accessory. Exactly. A precker makes it very clear that, you know, you're guilty of corruption under the act. If you take a bribe or you pay a bribe or if you know about a bribe and you don't report it. Um, I mean, I think that's the thing is that there are, you know, when I look at somebody like Brian Malefe, I think don't try to get him on bribery. Don't try to get, you, you, get him on racketeering either because those a complicated cases. Get him on a PFMA violation, you know, a public finance management act violation. Yeah. Like, choose the, the most simple, technical, straightforward, incontrovertible things. It's like you were supposed to fill in the form and you didn't fill in the form. That's breaking the law. Go to jail.
0: Mm, mm. That, that so, I mean...
1: And that, for me, will solve a lot of trauma that we are all suffering, because then we're asking ourselves, why did we have to go through these four years if we're seeing nothing? And now, this is dangerous, what I'm about to say, because it may sound like defence for the NPA, but I had a conversation, you know, confidential conversation with somebody fairly senior about a year ago. There, and, and they said something fascinating to me. Say One of the reasons, well, there are two reasons why prosecutions are delayed. One is that the nine, nine wasted years also destroyed the infrastructure. So great people left, good people were purged. That's the one part. The second part is that in the current crop that's remaining there, now please fasten your seatbelt, mm. people do not trust one another. You don't even know who to give a case to because it could end up in the same room with the with the guy who's supposed to be prosecuted. They would be told everything that's coming their way. They would know the details. They would even be given a defense strategy. Apparently, that's the crisis A. Shamila Batwa is sitting with.
0: Mm. Nice. Look, I think that the weapon of fear has definitely been a weapon that's been deployed across many different facets. And Paul was alluding to it earlier, just in terms of MPs too. I think that it's, it's a weapon that has been deployed across the board. But I do think that we are in, in, in a huge respect and in no small part thanks to Muhueng Muhueng. We, we still have in the judiciary a very strong, uh, War walk as it were against some of these things. If only Shamila and her team. And and this is where many people on the show have heard me say this before. That business, big business, is complicit mm-hmm. in keeping the ANC in power. A lot of them did believe that Cyril Ramaphosa was a bit of a silver bullet. But this is this is also an opportunity, I think, when it comes to things like private prosecutions, uh where. You know, individuals and concerned individuals and law firms as a whole could take up a private prosecution around some of these things and maybe assist and help out. If Shamila Patoy really did want to prosecute things, she has plenty of places where she could go to ask for help. So that is definitely the one thing. But gentlemen, uh, I see our time running short. My ticker coming up here. Rams by the horns is his Twitter account. He is—he's he, not controversial, but sometimes tw- I look at your Twitter, your Twitter, Rams, and I'm just like, ha, ah, this guy. And Paul, we did not get your Twitter handle. Are you on Twitter?
2: I do not believe that you should be on social media. I think it rots your brain.
0: <laughs> so how do people How do people get to hear your thoughts See more of your der, stuff This is Regis your 20 book. second ad break
2: Yeah so um, we have a, a Shadow World Investigations uh, Twitter account so you can follow us there And you, I, I, because I don't use social media I can't even remember what the handle is
0: <laughs> You also have a, a, a dedicated site Called Zondo at your fingertips I tra-
2: tra- tra- Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah yeah You go ahead all right. So, I mean, so, so there was a lot of stuff we couldn't fit into the book, as you can imagine, and things that we wanted to make available to the readers so that every South African can can get a sense of the Zonda Commission's work. So there's stuff on there that, that I've made available for free, like a timeline of state capture. There's a cast of characters. And over time, we'll be adding more free stuff up onto the website, helping people understand, you know, the intense evidence that was presented at the Zonda Commission.
0: Are you going to make an audio book for people who are not willing to read the 500 pages?
2: Oh, um, I've never made an audio book before, <laughs> um, but I suppose that if the offer was on the table, I don't would I have to read it all myself? That would be quite thing. Uh, uh,
0: uh, listen, I will tell you this: if ever you decide to make an audio book, I I would would not mind reading it for you. Okay. <laughs> so that that I can offer to you, because okay. I or do think that is a book <laughs> Ay, man. We're not talking about that on there. It's so, a private conversation. whether you'll be accessory to the kind of crimes that we're talking about. But thank you very much, Paul, for making the time this morning. Thank you very much, Rams, for making the time this morning. Thank Zondo you. at your fingertips is the book that we've been discussing. We're talking about everything to do with the Zondo Commission. It's a great book. Uh do go, and I haven't been paid 12.5 million rand to say that, Paul, you have done a sterling job. Well done. Thank you,
2: thank you very much.
0: Thank you for coming on. Yeah. And that is it for the show, guys. The time is over. Uh Thank you for lending us your ears. And those of you who were on YouTube, like and subscribe. And thank you for coming on. See you next
1: week.